Welcome to Man to Man, a podcast that's part of the Great American Man podcast family. I'm Paul Arnold, your host today, and my guest host today is Ron Potter. Ron, how are you doing today? I'm I'm doing actually quite well, Paul. Uh, <laughs> we were we were just talking about life and when it's okay and when it's well, but uh, uh, the stuff I'm dealing with right now is not that bad. So life is good. Uh, that's so uh, true, Ron. I mean, I go through the day and people ask me how I'm doing and I'm thinking, is this real or for not? And how much time do I really want to invest in this? And golf is so much like life. And today we're going to talk about golf because Ron and I both have a passion for golf. We both love how it has so much complexity, I think, to it and so much fun and challenge. And a lot of times you can talk to a golfer and say, how did you hit him today? And they'll go, uh, okay, or, you know, that was rough. And, uh, <laughs> and then you other, the other response you get is any day on the golf course is better than any day in the office, right? Agreed. So yeah. there's something about golf that we love. So if you're listening to us today and you love golf, this is the right day. And if you don't like golf, hang with us a little further. We're going to be talking about the first tee program that the PGA, the Professional Golf Association, has to teach young boys and girls about some core character lessons that I think I've learned through golf and I continue to learn through golf. And Ron and I have played enough rounds that we know each other as golfers as well. And Ron used to live in Ann Arbor and lived on a golf course. And Ron, how was it like to live on a golf course? Well, uh, you have to know the golf course. Uh, you know, most people think about, well, some people think about, I don't want to have a home where balls are going to hit. So, you know, most of us amateurs are slicers, so you don't want to be at the corner of a fairway where a slice is going to go through your pitcher window. (laughs) Uh, and, but a lot of people, there's two of the things they don't think about. One is, a lot of people will t- build their house right behind the tee box so that the golfers are hitting away from them. Uh, but then you hear a lot of bad language in your backyard. <laughs> uh, so you want to be careful with that. And the other thing I think most people, unless you've lived on a golf course, don't realize is what time the mowers and grass blowers start in the morning. Ooh, so I hadn't thought you of that. Wanna, yeah, you want to be far enough off the fairway <laughs> that that's not waking you at 5 a.m., which is when they're starting in the middle of the summer. Uh, but uh, but they're so beautiful. Uh, you know, I to me, one of the most picturesque things you can see is a golf course in the evening sun when the shadows are long and, you know, they're sort of they're cast over the hills and uh, bunkers and and they just you know extend these long shadows it's a beautiful sight to me i think that's really pretty Mm -hmm. well last weekend i was up at my hometown of midland and i decided to take a little side trip past the golf courses i learned how to play on and they've made Mm -hmm. some configurations different but as i drove past this one back nine that the kids got to play on more than the front two nines I looked mm-hmm. at the big oak tree and remembered it. And I remember walking that with my dad and how beautiful at night it was walking mm-hmm. in. And and at that point, the golf score wasn't as important that you were doing it together. You were experiencing good shots and bad shots and having time to talk. And when I was probably around eight or nine, my dad had me start swinging a club. 
but I really didn't get out on the course until I was about 12 or 13. Fortunately, in Midland, they had an executive par three course that the kids could practice on. And I did that a lot. And I think I was about 13. My dad got me a summer pass. And so my mom could just drop me off and I could go out and play. And then I could call her before cell phones at the tea shop and the golf shop. And then she'd come back and pick me up. And those are some mm-hmm. great years. And I was a little sad to see that the old uh, T, the pro shop that was the first one at that course was all gone. But how did you learn uh, how to play golf, Ron? Well, totally different. Uh, I grew up in a small town in south central Michigan, and I didn't know a single golfer. I, oh, really? I, there was no one, nobody in my family golfed, nobody at my school golfed. I, I didn't, I, I just didn't have any relationship with someone who actually played the game. But uh, those were the years of Arnold Palmer coming on the scene and Mm. television discovering Arnold Palmer and watching him probably, I think, as I think back, is what motivated me to get an old used set of clubs that were kind of half men's and half women's and (laughs) Uh, you know, go out and just start playing golf. And unfortunately, because Arnold was my only model, I essentially modeled my swing after his mm-hmm. and didn't know until 30 years later that he's the only one who can swing the club that way <laughs> and actually contact the ball. This is true. <laughs> And so I've spent the last 20 years trying to unlearn that. So, yeah, very very different experience. But I just, I think with a lot of people, you you either love the game or you don't, you don't get it. You you just don't understand why is this enjoyable. And for me, I just love the game. I just, and I've, I've played it for, oh gosh, over 50 years now. And, uh, you know, it was just one of those things that I, I would make an effort to go play. And I talked to a couple of buddies into playing it. And I'm playing with one of those guys this week that we, you know, played first time in high school kind of thing. That's great. Yeah. yeah. I introduced the game to my best friend. And, boy, when I played golf with him, I'd have to duck because the, the balls were going all over the place. <laughs> But this weekend, I think, is proof that golf is well-loved, and it can almost can be um, addiction to some people. This weekend, the U.S. Open was on TV, and Gary Woodland won in Pebble Beach with just fantastic views, and people mm-hmm. watching it, and the drama of it. I think, Ron, one of the things I always hear and I have to tell myself is nobody totally masters golf. Sooner or later, golf, the game yeah. of golf humbles you, and I think... Maybe that's where I'm going to start. And Leecher Vino, who was very, very successful as a professional golfer in the 70s and 80s, once said, my swing is so bad, I look like a caveman killing his lunch. (laughs) So if a professional golfer can feel that way, there's so much humility, I think, with golf, whether you want it or not. Yep, yep. I I don't actually know if this is true. Somebody told me this once that, uh, in a book that Arnold Palmer had, you know, written or probably ghostwritten for him, he said it took him 16 years to master his driver. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, okay, so here's here's my <laughs> idol. Here's the guy I started with, and it took him 16 years of hitting a thousand balls a day. 
why am I so worried that I can't seem to hit the fairway? Mm. Uh, kind of thing. So, you know, it does, it does put it in perspective. It's, it's amazing. And translating some of the topics we're going to talk about today, uh, our audience, we're trying to relate them to our everyday lives or the life that men go through at work or at home. And so often we have unrealistic expectations, Ron. I think we think, um, just because we have the right intentions and we read a few articles and we have you know, a plan that it's all going to work out. Why shouldn't we be successful? And I think not everybody in the world has that same view. Mm. I remember yeah, you telling uh, me a story over in, in Scotland. Like, how do the Scots view golf? Well, playing golf in Scotland is, is very different. Uh, for one, I'm uh, the first time I played there, I, I hit a drive and I'm standing out in the fairway and I can find no yard markers whatsoever. Hmm. There's just nothing. And I finally asked the guy who was a native there, you know, well, how far are we from the green? Hmm. And his response was, we're a six iron out. <laughs> and I'm, I'm thinking, well, is that your, your six iron or my six iron? <laughs> Cause I have <laughs> no idea. And you know, it was interesting to me that pretty soon, without all of these aids that we're used to in the U.S., your your eye got better. You begin to read the terrain better. You begin to see things better. So that was one thing I didn't share with you before. But the the other one was it became so obvious to me because most of the Scottish courses were built on the old useless land down near the ocean shore Mm -hmm. that wasn't high enough to be good grazing land. And it just wasn't good land. And to the American mind, if I do everything right off the tee and I hit a straight shot down the fairway, I have full expectations to be rewarded. Well, There, there was one shot at the open this weekend where one of the players hit a beautiful drive and ended up in a divot in the middle of the fairway. Mm-hmm. And the commentators and everybody was saying how unfair that was. There's nothing he can do about it, but now he's going to have, and that was just a divot. Mm-hmm. When you're playing golf in Scotland, you may come over the hill and find a, you know, five foot deep bunker that you're in the middle of right smack in the middle of the fairway or, it, the moguls are so steep that you actually hit one in the middle of the fairway and it bounced, you know, 10 yards out into the rough. And it seems like we Americans are standing there saying, well, that isn't fair. I hit a perfect drive. And the Scottish will say, this is golf. Find your ball and hit it again. I mean, <laughs> quit complaining. You know, mm-hmm. it's just, it's almost like, hey, that's life. You know, go find the ball and hit it again. That's all you can do. And I, I thought that was a great lesson. Well, I think that's a good lesson with perseverance, and that's one of the first T core values is that mm. if you don't get it the first time, keep on practicing, keep on going. Gary Player, the famous player from South Africa, said this. He said, the more I practice, the luckier I get. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> so, you know, if you, you you try something that doesn't work the first time, you just don't give up. You keep on trying and trying, and that's the golfer's motto because – uh, even the best of all rounds, you could talk to a guy and he says, oh yeah, I shot 
you know, even par or four over, but I could have done better. There's always I could have done better. Golf always leaves you wanting more for some reason. Yeah, yeah. I, I believe that Gary Player made that comment after winning the PGA tournament at Oakland Hills in Detroit. Oh, really? In the early 70s. I, I was there and watched him win that day. Mm. And, and he was, he was not hitting it straight and he hit several of them in the bunker, but he would just, he would come out of the bunker and, and almost have a tap in. And one of the reporters asked him afterwards, he said, you, you won today, but wasn't it, you know, didn't you just have a lot of luck out there? (laughs) And player gave that response. But years later, I read about players practice routine. And one of the things he would do is go into a sand bunker with balls and he would not come out until he had sunk 10 shots out of the sand. Yeah. 10 in a row? No, but he, he had to sink 10 shots still. Yeah. Come coming out of the bunker before he would leave the bunker. Mm. And that's where that comment came from. I find the more I practice, the luckier I get. (laughs) One of my dad's heroes was Ben Hogan, and my dad oh. uh, used to caddy at Oakland Hills, that famous course you're talking about. And Ben Hogan mm-hmm. had was very much a meticulous, uh, precision-type player, and then he was in a terrible car accident and was very consistent pre- and got back to a winning form. And Ben Hogan had this great quote about focus, because not only is golf about persevering, but focusing, letting go of what's happened in the past and focusing on the next shot, because Ben Hogan said, the most important shot in golf is the next one. Yeah. And it's so easy in golf to be so frustrated. Like, you hit a bad shot, uh, you Mm -hmm. hit two bad shots, uh, you dubbed it, or it wasn't fair, and then you get to the next tee box, and you're about ready to swing, and your mind is totally not... Still uh, thinking about that. It's still thinking what just happened behind you. And the, the ability for any man to have a a failure or a setback, and then let it go, learn from it, let go, and move on to the next thing is incredibly important, I think, for Mm -hmm. guys so they can learn and let it go instead of let it haunting them, you know, hole after hole or your next day at work or whatever it is. Agreed. Yep, absolutely. So I learned early on playing golf with my dad. My dad learned on Oakland Hills uh, he got mm. to play golf at Elma College, and so he told me how to play golf. Unlike you, he sat down and said, here's the basics. If you ever get in trouble playing golf, go back to these simple steps, put it in the center, put your foot out halfway, put the other foot out halfway, nice easy swing, in, then out, and whenever you get in trouble, go back to that. And I would yeah. listen to him, and I was playing some old hand-me-down clubs, and one day I hit a really good shot and then when I hit toward the green it's a horrible shot and I threw my club and he stopped <laughs> he stopped me he walked over to me he says Paul we will mm-hmm. not throw clubs golf mm-hmm. is a fun game if you keep that up I will not play with you oh and, wow and that was quite a you know no, he, he no was, kidding so for him, it was sportsmanship was hugely important on the golf course. It's a gentleman's yep. game, and meaning that yep. doesn't mean you don't have emotions. He would stomp his foot and, and 
and say, doggone it or whatever. My dad didn't swear, but he would get really frustrated. But then he'd let it yep. go. He would not right. let his bad game ruin somebody else's game. He would mm-hmm. he would acknowledge it, and then he wouldn't complain about it all around or throw clubs or whatever. Um, yep. So I think sportsmanship is pretty important. And I got a little story here about sportsmanship that comes from Ireland. And uh, let me see here. So uh, the first one from Ireland says, a golfer walks off the 18th green. He hands his putter to his caddy and says, kid, you got to be the worst caddy in the world. And the caddy replies, sir, that would be too much of a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> if you don't get the joke, folks, it would be that he'd be the worst golfer in the world. And then the other joke is about honesty in golf. And golf, being a gentleman's sport, is all about scoring. There's tons of jokes about how people score their own shots and do they take full credit or blame for their own shots, writing down the right score. And um, the story goes, a U.S. citizen was vacationing on his own in Ireland. He decided to play a round of golf, and he was paired with three local gentlemen. The American takes a few practice swings, steps up to the first tee, and then proceeds to hook the ball out of bounds. The American shakes his head. He reaches into his pocket and re-tees another ball. He tells his other partners, hey, guys, I'm taking a mulligan. Then he pounds that drive down the center about 280 yards. With a big smile, he says to the others, in the U.S., that's what we call a mulligan. What do you call it here in Ireland? After a moment of silence, one of the locals replies, hitting three. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to say cheating. But cheating. Well, <laughs> yeah. what, folks, if you don't know, if you hit it out of bounds, then you're supposed to take a penalty shot and hit three, the third shot from the tee. You're not supposed to just right. give yourself a pass unless you're in a group where everybody agrees that you want to have a little fun with that. But if you don't, you're supposed to have honesty. And so that leads to sort of questions. Ron, when you're on a golf course, can you talk, tell a lot about somebody's character when you're playing golf with them? Oh, uh, so many fronts. Can I, I got to back up though, just one step because I was at the LPGA final tournament yesterday with my daughter and son-in-law and two grandkids. And the grandkids have been to the driving range with me, but they, they're not golfers. They're bicyclists and equestrians and they're into those kind of things. And my grandson as we're walking around this LPGA yesterday, asked me, he said, so who keeps their score? Who keeps track of what their score is? I said, the players do. And he said, well, you mean each other? I said, no, each player keeps their own score. Mm -hmm. And then when they get all done, they have to sit down and write their score and sign that it's correct. It's a, it's a game of honor. And he, he was just very thoughtful about that, that, Here's professional players out there, and somebody's not watching everything they do. Mm-hmm. Now, in fact, they are, and if they make a mistake, that you know they do get found out. But that whole concept of this is a sportsmanship issue, you know, and this is a game of honor, was very powerful. And to me, that leads to your question. Then, uh, you know, just like your Irish story, you, know, you get out there with a, a round of golf with people, and uh, you come up to the green and maybe one person's keeping score for the team and you know hey bill what'd you get five hey ron you know what'd you get seven hey steve what'd you get he goes 
four. Well, you know, mm-hmm. I, I saw him <laughs> hit three in the bunker. Uh, you know, I, I guess he just counted one out. I, you know, and but to me, as soon as that happens, then I I question that person's integrity in almost anything they do, not just the golf course. The, the golf course just amplifies those kind of things. I think. I think definitely. Um, I found two quotes about character. Percy Boomer said, if you wish to hide your character, do not play golf. And P.G. Woodhouse said it a little differently. To find a man's true character, play golf with him. And it is such an ego thing. I think you're on a golf course, you want to shoot a low score, but you're, it's interesting the little bargaining that goes on. Oh, this really doesn't matter, or nobody's watching. And then you finally yeah. get to the point like, what purpose is keeping the score if you're not going to keep it accurately? It's not like we're playing a U.S. Open or something, or we're right. th- it's out for fun. And so there's been plenty of times, especially in the last <laughs> 10 years, my golf game hasn't been as good as it used to be, that I've had to take a deep breath and say, why am I really out here? And am I going to enjoy it, or am I going to allow this to eat me up type of thing? Mm-hmm. Yep. So golf is, I love playing with my son, and we were supposed to play yesterday uh, for Father's Day, but it rained so hard in Michigan, I had to cancel. And I really was sad about it because one of the things I really enjoy about playing golf is talking with a person for 9 or 18 holes. You're not interrupted by phone calls. You have time just to talk about a lot of different things. Um, When you play golf, Ron, do you... Do you think guys lean on each other a little bit more, or do you find it just depends on the person? I think it depends on the person. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's an individual thing. Uh, most of us who really do uh, love it, I think, are just out there for the sportsmanship and the camaraderie and uh, you know the time together. Uh, I didn't share this with you earlier, but uh, my wife and I are celebrating our 50th anniversary this year. Yay. And we didn't, thank you, we we didn't want a big party, mainly because uh, you get three minutes with each person, <laughs> and then you got to go on to the next person. And we wanted time with people who, you know, were meaningful to us during those times. And so she had a beautiful luncheon last week with all the women who stood up with her 50 years ago. And then Thursday, uh, I'm taking the five guys who stood up with me 50 years ago and we're going golfing. Nice. And we're just all looking forward to, you know, a few hours on the golf course where we can get caught up. Some of them I see fairly regularly because one of them was my brother. Mm-hmm. Others I've seen probably twice in 50 years because mm-hmm. our lives just went different directions, but we're all getting together. And uh, so, yeah, it's it's very powerful. Uh, I, I do another event. My, my brother has two sons, and both of them came back from uh, Desert Storm, the war in Iraq years ago. Mm-hmm. I even forget how many years ago now, too right. many. Uh, and he wanted to do something once they were both back and healthy and they had to get patched up a little bit. And, uh, so we went out for a golf match one day, all four of us. And one of his sons, actually his youngest son said, well, what should we call this thing? 
And I said, well, the Potter Brothers versus the Potter Brothers. <laughs> and it took him a minute because, you know, he knew I was his dad's brother, but I had just always been Uncle Ron. Right. And, and then it connected. Oh, you guys are brothers and we're brothers. And so we've been playing ever since then. Now, up until about three years ago, we held, the old guys held their own. But uh, the young guys are getting so strong now, we can't, we can't keep up with them. We've kind of been beaten every year the last three years. But, you know, it's, they're the ones, we just thought we were doing it one time. They're the ones that said, no, we got to do this every year. It, it was just such a wonderful experience to get the four of us together without all the families around and everything else. Not that any of that's bad, but it's just, this is when we get a chance to talk together, mm-hmm. share our lives. So, very right. powerful. When you get out on that golf course, it's like its own little world. Like time suspended yeah. a little bit, and you can go out and play. But playing golf really takes a lot of focus, a lot of discipline, and um, I would say self awareness that you always don't get from yourself. I know over the years I've really worked hard not to try to give my son too much advice while I play golf because you can also confuse a person by giving them oh, yeah. too much advice mm-hmm. about their and it's hard not to tell them. And yet from I know from my own swing, there are times where I'm not realizing how much my hip turn is not rotating yeah. or over rotating. My arms are out of alignment. Um there's a lot of I would say you have to be a uh, intellectually focused or a, a lot of discipline or concentration. And my hero growing up playing golf was Jack Nicholas because I was a blonde-haired kid, a little pudgy like Jack was. And his <laughs> focus was incredible in intensity. Now, he's been yep. known to be a little prickly and overconfident over the years, but his ability to focus and to have a positive visualization of what he was going to do, you know, envisioning it, really paid mm-hmm. off for him. And I think those are two skills. I think golf is, you can translate from golf over to your work world or other areas as well. The ability to focus and visualize uh, even when you have lots of distractions. Mm-hmm. Well, in a, in a small way, uh, golf was influential in me doing an entire career shift. I had I had been running a software company that I had started and working in the software industry about 10 years, but really wanted to go into the consulting business where I helped leaders develop and teams develop. And I was actually at the, what used to be called the Colonial. I think it's the MasterCard now down in Fort Worth, Uh Texas. And it was sort of at the peak of Tom Watson's career. And so I was watching Watson. I was kind of walking around with him after seeing several of the other players. And I noticed at about hole 15 or 16, he started to get a little draw in his drive. Hmm. Well, by 18, it it became such a hook that even though 18 is a dog leg left, he he hooked it so much it almost went in in the river that runs along the course there. And... He finished out 18, and I could see him, as he walked off the green, make eye contact with somebody in the crowd. And he he made direct eye contact with him and just a little nod of his head. And I thought, well, that's interesting. So waited until he signed his scorecard and came back out. Well, the person he was looking at was his coach. 
and they immediately headed for the driving range. They had us roped off far enough back that you couldn't hear what they were saying. Mm-hmm. But Watson was just incredibly frustrated. He was he was almost yelling at this coach. And I could see the coach put up his hands and say, calm down, calm down a little bit, stand up, hit a few. Well, Watson stood up there and smacked his ball. And I didn't think a golf ball could even do this. It, it went like straight out for about 150 yards. And it looked like it took a 90 degree turn to the mm. left and just, you know, and he turned right back around to the coach and said, I'm making up the words cause I couldn't hear him, but just from his gestures, you know, he almost like, see, see what I've been telling you. Mm. And the guy said, calm down. And I could see him walk up to him and do some slight adjustment in his grip. Mm-hmm. And then he would step back and Watson hit a few and there was a little draw, but it was better. And then the coach walked up and, as you said, he just moved his foot, his right foot, just a little bit. And the next one he hit was just long and straight. Mm. And he stood there for a half hour, just hitting them long and straight. And I thought, you know, here's a guy who is at that point was probably the best golfer in the world. Mm -hmm. And he still needed another set of eyes on him to help him through those little things that got out of whack that he couldn't see himself. And that little visual experience for me actually pushed me a little farther towards that consulting career of, you know, I can step back and watch these leaders and help them make those slight adjustments Mm -hmm. and it'll make an impact on their lives. So it, it actually, you know, probably influenced one of my career changes. And that's why I love this podcast, Ron, because we've known each other for 18 years, and it's the first time I've heard that story. And I love (laughs) that you told me that I hit it just like Tom Watson, because I have duck-hooked it like Tom Watson before numerous times. (laughs) Um, But it's interesting that you see that happening in that process, because you really described a process where somebody Mm -hmm. was going the right direction and slowly but surely got off and yep. he needed somebody else to say, let me help you through it. And Watson mm-hmm. could have been full of pride and said, no, I'm the greatest guy. I'll work it out myself. Instead, mm-hmm. he knew what he needed. He had that guy there. He was prepared. He was willing to put in the hard work. So he still got the credit, but he still had to go after it himself. Um, there's another quote that I'll throw up here. And Bruce Lansky said, we learned so many things from golf. How to suffer, for instance. <laughs> There's times yeah, where, for instance. <laughs> for instance, right. There's times yeah, every, golf, every time I walk out there. <laughs> <laughs> it's learning to how to balance success and failure a lot with golf um, because nobody mm. gets it right 100% of the time. Ray Floyd, yep. who won a bunch of you know, Masters and other big tournaments, said they call it golf because all the other four-letter words were taken. I mean, (laughs) it can get really to you, I mean, that you love it so much and you can hate it so much, and yet I think it's because it's so difficult, it's so attractive. Why do you think golf is so attractive to men? Well, uh, I don't know whether it's men or not. We'll have to come back to that, but I'll share a little quote with you that had nothing to do with the world of golf. This was from Pavlov of Pavlov's dog fame. Oh, where, yes, yes. You know, felt he could condition dogs with certain things. And I'm, I'm going to paraphrase his quote because I don't have it exactly. But essentially what he was saying, he said the, the most powerful 
form of human motivation is intermittent, unexpected, positive results. Mm-hmm. And when I heard that, I thought, I don't know if you ever played golf or not, but you just (laughs) described golf. (laughs) Intermittent, every now and then, unexpected. Where did that come from? (laughs) Positive results. Wow, that was great. (laughs) Just keeps bringing you back. I don't know. (laughs) So uh, your your question about men versus women, I don't know. I mean, it's certainly, uh, you know, the dominant number of players are men. And yet all the things we just talked about are not the things that you, or at least I would typically think about, well, mm-hmm. men are in this industry because it's so competitive and you, you know, get so successful at it and you do everything right. No, we just talked about all the opposites of those things. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know whether, I mean, I think the first T as you were talking about earlier is is trying to encourage young ladies to play more. And I think that's, you know, that's probably some of it. There just wasn't that encouragement uh, early on. Uh, I lived on a golf course in Ann Arbor. I live on one here and we have several days of just nothing but women out there. It's their day on the course and they, they seem to, I'll see them in the lunchroom or something, you know, and they seem to be having just as good a time as we do. So right. I don't know whether it's just been an opportunity or, or what, I mean, physically, you know, we've tried to make it a little more even with the T placement, but even, even still, I'm not sure we've done that completely well yet or not, but, uh, I don't know, Paul. I don't know the answer well, to that one. Well, I have a few, I have a few thoughts on that and another story for you. Um, I think you're right about Pavlov. It's sort of like lightning in a bottle. When you're yeah. trying and trying <laughs> and trying, and all of a sudden you get this awesome shot. Uh, my dad used to say, "Pick one hole around her. If you can walk away with one thing that you're proud of, that's what will keep you coming back." So the last time I played. Mm-hmm. I played with my daughter's boyfriend. It's the first time we played golf. I think he was nervous, and I was saying, like, hey, just relax. Let's have a good time. And I said, let's look for one good hole that will be, you know, we can talk about later. And I got a birdie on a par- long par three. I drained, mm-hmm. like, a 20-foot putt, and we both hooped mm-hmm. and hollered about that. And he got a par on a par four. So I don't think – I don't even know what he scored. And I think I scored around yeah. a 46. But that didn't matter as much as those two things that – it's so hard when you finally get something great. It's like, wow, that felt so good. I also think yeah. that golf, think about it. You have 13 tools in a bag. I mean, you have these long, you know, silver sticks, almost like swords that you can hit. And, and then you even have the calculations that I think I like to do. Like, okay, this is a seven iron. I got to hit it this high and this soft, or I got to curl it a little bit if I can, or I had to hit under the trees. So it's very much a challenge. Plus, you get to drive carts a lot of times, which is fun. (laughs) And you get food. I mean, what's there's nothing. And Ron was really generous one time. He invited me to a a charity event at Travis Point Golf Club. And I show up, and I didn't realize that the giveaway were brand-new FootJoy golf shoes. And I went down to the lower level, and they had all these boxes of, of golf shoes. And they said, what's your size? And... 
I'm thinking, I just bought a new pair of shoes like two weeks. So I thought, <laughs> I called my son. I said, David, what size do you wear? And he said, Dad, I wear 11. And I said, great. So I got him that brand new that set. great. And he's still wearing them. He loves them. Yeah. So every time I see it, I think about you inviting me. And I didn't play my greatest that day. But my funnest moment was that you made it possible to get my son some really nice golf shoes. That's so, great. So I really yeah. appreciate that. So here's another story about humility and uh, golf and the, maybe the, sometimes the differences between men and women, but not really. It's just a good story. The story goes, a man was addressing the golf ball when the announcement came over the loudspeaker over the first tee box. Will the gentleman on hole number one please not hit from the lady's tee box? The man backed away. He was a little distracted. Then he approached his golf ball again. As he does, the same announcement comes over the loudspeaker. Will the gentleman on hole number one please not hit from the lady's tee box? The man's getting irritated now. He backs away from his shot. He approaches his ball one more time, and this time the announcement came again. Sir, we really need you to back away from hole number one and move off the lady's tee box. To which the man turns around and yells, and I really need the announcer to shut up and let me play my second shot. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Been there, done that. (laughs) Yeah. So many times I've gone up to the first tee and I get nervous and I make a really yep. good swing and I look up and I whiff mostly in the ball. The ball just barely pops up or trickles, you know, 30 yards to the ladies' tee. And uh, yep. I think jitters and being nervous is part of golf. And it also, I think, can help you to learn how to calm yourself down. And, um, you know, at work, I know I have to many times have to just take a deep breath and not let my uh, anxiety of the moment to get the best of me. I just need to calm down and yeah. take care of business. <laughs> and uh, I think on golf, you learn that a bunch of times. Well, my as I just shared with you a minute ago, this is our 50th anniversary. So my father-in-law, long gone now, but uh, he was a big, tough guy, farmer, strong as a kid, was an incredible athlete. His basketball team won the state championship from a very small school. He was just, you know, played football, the whole thing. And so I'm getting acquainted with him. We're in, you know, college age now. And he goes, oh, what's your sport? And I said, golf. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, in his eyes, I was the biggest wimp that his daughter could have oh. ever found. And he, he just was on me for years about, you know, you wimp, you go out and play golf. And it was a few years before I gained enough gumption with him to say, okay, come on, get in the car with me. And he said, where we're we going? I said, we're going to the driving range. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he, he went along. I'll give him credit for that. Well, the little driving range and the little course in this small town, had a driving range that the tee was just, it was probably 20 feet, probably more than that, probably maybe three stories elevated Mm. over the fairway. So it was just, it was just a fun place to hit golf balls out of because you were hitting them way out over space, you know? And so he gets out, he's kind of, okay, what do you do with this stupid game? You know? And, uh, and I didn't, I didn't want to blow it. So I, I didn't grab my driver. I just grabbed my three wood out and teed it up and took a deep breath and took a nice swing and hit a really nice three wood out there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I said, you know, put down about two more. And I says, that's all there is to it. You know, just, uh, and I gave me that stupid club. So he <laughs> takes the club and 
course, he, he grabs it, you know, just like a baseball bat, because you know, that's what he, a game he might have known. And, uh, you know, he tees the ball up, and I don't know, he took probably overall maybe 10 swings at the <laughs> ball. And the farthest he advanced the ball in all of those 12 swings was four inches, <laughs> where he topped it just enough to roll it off the tee on one of them. He missed every other one. And it was just like, ah, a stupid game. And he gave the club back and, and went back and got in the car and sat there. <laughs> you know, so, okay, well, that didn't work. And took it. All right, so that was, you know, that was, we were probably five years into our marriage. It was after his death that my wife's brother, his son, said to me one day, Dad was always so impressed that you could actually play golf like that. I said, <laughs> <laughs> but he you didn't tell be you. Me. It would have been nice if yeah. he told me that over 40 years or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but so that's old good. school men, though, isn't it? I mean, oh, yeah. A lot yeah. of guys, you know, you just sort of nod your head. You don't go on and on about how good it is. But I think with golf, what's really fun to me is to, when somebody's encouraging um, and I yeah. was not having a good round last year. We got to play in a charity tournament at Oakland Hills and my drives are okay but boy my irons were off and so mm -hmm. I was starting to get consumed in my own game but I said wait a second I'm out here with a team I can't be looking down about this so I just kept on saying hey good shot to the other people and because mm -hmm. th that way they're not going to think how bad I am doing they're going to be thinking yeah. yeah Paul's happy to be here and um at the end of the day, I think golf can be a really great bonding experience, a lot of fun. And uh, yep. so you've played some great golf courses in your lifetime. Is there a golf course that you still would really want to play, Ron? Well, uh, watching the Open this weekend, I, I have not made it to Pebble Beach, although I still hope to someday. Uh, I don't know whether I'd want to play Augusta or not. I've never seen it in person, but everybody I talked with who has says you, you can't believe the elevation changes and the slope of the greens. I, I, I think mm. it, it may look like the most beautiful course, but I'm not sure I could play it. Right. So I, I don't know. I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, I, we both live in Michigan and I, I've played golf on three continents uh, and at the home of golf, I've played St. Andrews and all the major Scottish courses and, and played in Southeast Asia. Nobody in the world has as beautiful golf courses as we do. Uh, now I don't, I don't want to draw a lot of people here. <laughs> yeah. We won't <laughs> uh, tell you where they're located, but yeah. Yeah. But there's one in particular now here in Michigan, there's, uh, most courses are built over maybe roughly 300 acres that they cover. There's, there's a, course up near Gaylord that is built over 1,600 acres. Wow. And there isn't a stick of development anywhere. It's a mile drive from the clubhouse out to the first tee, and then you just start playing through the wilderness. You do not see a house. You don't see a road. You don't see a telephone pole. 
you see nothing but hills and forest and streams and swamps. And mm. I, I just love playing that course. Where, and, and it's not like most courses that the ninth hole comes back to the clubhouse and then you start this one. I mean, by the time you hit the ninth hole, you, I don't even know how many miles away you are from the clubhouse. I think you're in Canada uh, by then. Well, it could be. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, that's just maybe one of my, it may be the favorite course I've played in the world. It's just that because there's just, there's just nothing else around you. you. All you can do is just go out there and enjoy the scenes and enjoy the fairway and play golf. It, it's, you know, it's just great. Right. Yeah, God's beauty is definitely on display, and I agree with you. I watched Pebble Beach this weekend, and the commentators were going on and on. I have to agree, that looked absolutely beautiful out there. I played some courses up by um, Beulah, Michigan, Crystal Lake area, Traverse yeah. City area, where they take yep. um, ski uh, resorts, and then they convert mm-hmm. it to, in the summer to golf holes. And so you start on top of the hill, and you work your way down, and then you get some great views of lakes and it's just yep. absolutely beautiful, and you can get in trouble in a hurry. Don't get me wrong on some of those oh, courses, yeah. <laughs> um, but I found that even the local place that I play with my son—that's basically just a local little course down south of Dundee area of Michigan—and it's really cheap to get on, and they keep a decent, mm-hmm. but it's still beautiful in its own way. And it's—I think any course that you have more to yourself, the better it is. Now, we yeah, haven't talked any point. about the downside of waiting when you play to play golf or the cost of it, um, <laughs> but there's so many good things with golf, and um, I really, really enjoy it. So, Ron, as we get ready to wrap it up, any final thoughts about golf and lessons? Uh, just to go through the, the rest of the first T-Core values, they teach children and young adults the, these nine values of golf and life in general. Number one is honesty. Number two is integrity. Number three is sportsmanship. Number four is respect. Number five is confidence. Number six is responsibility. Number seven is perseverance. Number eight is courtesy. And number nine is judgment. Hmm. Uh, I could turn that into a complete list uh, without a single alteration for great leadership. What's that? Uh, it's just, I mean, everything on that list makes mm-hmm. a great leader. It does. And uh, it does. And to be teaching these young kids, you know, the value of those things, there's not a thing on there about scoring or your technique or how far you hit it or <laughs> how well you putt or anything. Uh, these are the values of life. And, I, and to me, that's what the game is about. It's beautiful. And they teach the kids how to shake hands with somebody, how to introduce yourself, yeah. how to look them in the eye. And I think these are things that Boy Scouts used to teach. But I think yep. any but anytime you can take a sports program and combine it, it just means that these kids are going to be really great kids for the future. And uh, these are things that my parents taught me, and I mm-hmm. hope my kids learn from me. And But anytime they can hear it from a third source or a second source, Boy, that's powerful too. So it is. Yep. Well, Ron, yep. thanks so much for doing this podcast with me. And we're part of the uh, Great American Man podcast family. So you can check us out at greatamericanman.org. Um, or you can check us out on sportscountry.net. It's a 
internet radio station. And uh, so, Ron, I hope, I hope, I hope I can get to play golf with you sometime this summer. As Ron knows, I have a daughter who now lives in Holland, Michigan. He lives not too far mm-hmm. away. So I'm going to look at my calendar and see if we can tee it up at least once this summer. That would be great. Looking forward to it. All right. Well, thanks for listening, and good night. Good night.